Welcome to the Juggling Without Balls podcast. My name is Monica Parkin and I am your host. And every week on the show, I'm going to be talking to powerful, successful women who juggle it all. And when I say juggle it all, I mean everything. Kids, health, aged parents, careers, relationships, you name it, we're going to talk about it. So stick around, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a seat and enjoy the show. Hello, jugglers, and welcome to the first episode of season two of Juggling Without Balls. Today on the show, I am breaking all the rules. I'm having a guy on the show as a guest. It is my pleasure to introduce Mike Cameron, who is a two times TEDx speaker. He is an author, an entrepreneur, and a leadership coach. After tragedy struck Mike's life in 2015, he sold his business and turned his expertise into helping men better connect with themselves and others. Today, he's going to talk to us about that tragedy and how he is helping people to redefine what it means to be a badass. Welcome, Mike. I am thrilled to be here and have this conversation. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you here. I was just saying that I I actually met you several years ago. I want to tell the audience about this because I don't know if you even remember this, but the first time I met you was at a Mortgage Professionals Canada conference. I think you were speaking and I think you were president of MPC at the time. So I went to the conference, I came home and then the next day my phone rang and your number came up on it. And I was like, oh crap, what did I do? The president's calling me. Am Am I getting kicked out of the association? Did I do something wrong? Like, what do I do? And I pick up the phone and you're like, Hey, it's Mike Cameron. I'm just, I just like calling one person a day just to get to know people. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Like at that time, that's something I couldn't have done. Like I was this total introvert. I still am, but in a different way, but I just thought that was the coolest thing that you were just making a point of reaching out to like one person a day. Hey, what's working for you? You know, what do you like about the industry? What do you hate about it? That was just a really cool way to just Like, do you still do that? I I absolutely do. I was just thinking how proud I am of myself. I, it was two a day is what I always strive for. So yeah, when I'm at my best, I'm talking to, or at least reconnecting with at least two people a day. I I strive for now, but you know, at least two new ones and then, and then maybe three reconnects. Two people you really haven't met before and then three more touch base and reconnect. And Mm. I bet you some real conversation, really cool conversations come out of those. those Oh, it's amazing. Well, you know, Suzanne from women in the mortgage industry. Yeah. I met her the same way and and Suzanne and I became very good friends because of that. It was the exact same thing. I just called her up and, you know, sometimes as an icebreaker, I'll say, I, I make an effort to make two new calls a day. And guess what? Today, you're number two, right? Oh Which is everybody's that's... always a little bit hesitant, like, okay, what are you going to sell me? And, and that's not why I call. I don't call to make it a sales pitch. I just, you just never know where things are going to go. That's so cool. And I think that's something I'm going to actually give it a try. Like I said, five years ago, I couldn't have done that. But uh, I think new Monica could do that. And I think she's going to add that to her New Year's list this year. So thanks nice. for that. Yeah. So I uh, probably already heard in the intro, but you know, we're breaking all the rules today. This is usually a women only show, but I'm having Mike on the show because he's got a really important message to share. And some of the work that he's doing with men, you know, directly affects our lives as women and affects us all really as humans. So Mike, I just wanted to start out um, by saying, you know, you've been on this journey to redefine badass is is the term that you use. And we're going to talk a little bit more later about that, what that means. But for now, you want to give me like the cliff notes version when you say redefine badass, like, what do you mean by that? Yeah, well, I, I just, I talk about the way men in particular think about the word strong 
is wrong and it's very problematic. And, you know, this is where I, I expect lots of people are expecting me to bust out the term toxic masculinity, which, you know, frankly, I really can't stand because I think it's overused and I think it's misunderstood. And frankly, I don't think anything about masculinity in and of itself is toxic. However, I think a lot of how we view strength or badass, as I put it, what it means to be a badass, I think as men, I think we've got a warped sense of what that should mean and what that does mean. And in turn, that impacts how we show up in the world or potentially impacts how we show up in the world. So yeah, my mission is absolutely to redefine what it means to be a badass. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, as moms and sisters and, and spouses, I think that's important for us to to be aware of too, how we how we define badass in our partners and in our sons and like how we define what is a good man, right? And how we we define that in our own minds. And we can talk a little bit more about that. But you know, there was a defining moment in your life that started you on this path. I've heard this story before. It was a very powerful story for me. I wonder if, you, if you're okay with sharing that with our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, the the term badass came, you know, back in, in 2015, my girlfriend used to tease me about how badass I was. And, you know, I sort of relate to your, your introvert story, although I don't know that I was ever introverted. I was always kind of more nerd than jock, more geek than cool kid. And so when Carissa used to tease me about how badass I was, you know, I ran a business, I, I did Ironman, I did yoga, I, I did rock climbing, and she would always tease me about how badass I was. And that always kind of made my heart swell with pride. Again, coming from a background where I never particularly felt like I fit into sort of that stereotypical definition of badass. Like my, you know, I, I I would stay up late at night programming computers in my teens. And, you know, so not exactly the quarterback or the, or the high school jock by any stretch of the imagination. So, you know, I used to get a real kick out of, the, out of that when she would tease me about what it meant to be badass. And, you know, there's, we can kind of circle back to the stories if you want, but, you know, ultimately... What ended up happening on October 2nd uh, of 2015, you know, and this is part of what I talk about, I've always pictured myself a, a good man. And October 1st, I went to bed a good man. October 2nd, I woke up a good man. And Carissa woke up with me. She had stayed at my house that night. And as a yoga instructor, she often did early mornings, so she had 6 a.m. class. So she got up at 5 o'clock, got dressed, got ready to go, came around to my side of the bed, gave me a kiss, said goodbye. And I said, have fun at yoga, and rolled over and went back to sleep. And uh, alarm goes off at 7 o'clock. I get up, go downstairs, make some breakfast. And as was our custom, I shot her a text, and I said, hey, how was yoga? To which I got no response. And I thought, you know, not necessarily out of character. Well, she, she was not a huge talker. She was an incredible listener. And as a result, often got drawn into long conversations with students after class. So I didn't think much of it. You know, I finished my breakfast, get ready for my day. It's 8.30, still haven't heard anything. Up in my car, head down to my meeting at downtown and for 9 a.m., tried calling, phone rings and rings and rings, and eventually goes to voicemail. And, you know, now I'm starting to feel like, yeah, this is feeling a little out of character. And 
went into my meeting, finished up at 10 o'clock, still hadn't heard back from her. And now I'm starting to get that sinking feeling, you know, just that feeling in the pit of your stomach where like, just what's going on. And then, you know, the stories that you start to play, did I piss her off? Did I do something wrong? No, no, that's like, what's going on? And long story short, I finished up my meetings. We ended up going, heading across the street to go out for lunch. And as I walked into the restaurant, I got a phone call and I looked at it and it was a blocked number. And I answered the phone and the voice on the other end of the line said, is this Mike Cameron? I said, yes. And he says, this is Constable so-and-so. And my heart just sank. And I practically screamed into the phone. I said, is she okay? And he says, where are you? And I said it again. I said, is she okay? And he says, where are you? We're at your house. We're coming to you. And so I told him where, where I was and I turned and I walked out of the restaurant. I don't think I said two words to my guests. And I stood at the, the side of the curb for, for what felt like an eternity, but was probably only five or six minutes. My house wasn't very far away from where we were. And uh, this unmarked police car pulls up across the street. And uh, this big badass burly looking cop gets out and starts walking across the street towards me. And I meet him halfway across the road. And after identifying who I was, he said three words to me that would ultimately change my life. He just, he looked me in the eye and he simply said, Carissa is dead. Shot and killed by an ex-boyfriend who subsequently took his own life. And yeah, for me, that, you know, that was, that was just a little over a month after we had gone to Penticton together and where I was, where I was doing Ironman there. And we had had this conversation about what does it mean to be a badass? And yeah, for me, you know, after that event, I started to look at, you know, where could I best make an impact in the world? And I had lots of folks that wanted me to go after the justice system which, you know, it certainly let her down. She'd done all the right things, filed the paperwork, had a restraining order, you know, done all the right things. But clearly, you know, a piece of paper isn't going to stop a bullet. And I just thought, you know, how do we build a better restraining order is akin to putting a Band-Aid on a ruptured jugular. And I thought, you know, the better question to ask would be, how do we prevent men from getting to that point in the first place? And that's where that whole notion of redefining badass comes from. Because, you know, for 25 years in business, sales, and leadership, I've studied the impact that emotion has on human behavior. And, you know, I've leveraged that in my sales role as, as mortgage brokers. I mean, we sell a service. You do. And yeah. one of the best ways to do that is to make that emotional connection with our customers. So, you know, I've long looked at strategies and techniques on on how we tap into that emotion to get our customers and as leaders, business leaders, how do we get our team, our staff, our employees to buy into our vision? And that's by tapping into that emotional component. And and so when I look at, you know, what that man did, he took action with very permanent consequences based on a very temporary emotion. And that fact that, you know, as men, our, our version is suck it up, be strong, 
Yeah, I remember you actually hearing you talk about, you know, after the funeral or after the service, everyone telling you, you know, it's okay, buddy, just be strong. And that's actually not what you needed to hear in that moment, right? You needed permission to actually be vulnerable in that moment. That's what you really needed. Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah, that's exactly what I talk about is, yeah, I, you know, I love them for their intention, but I didn't want to fucking be strong. I wanted to curl up into a little ball and I wanted to cry like a baby. Yeah. And and that's what I needed. And and again, I just, I think, you know, our Western culture is such that we put the emphasis on the wrong things, albeit well-meaning. Yeah, it's meant very- with love and meant, you know, definitely meant with love and so well-intentioned. I remember talking to Christine Buman a couple of months back and and her saying that, you know, what she's trying to teach her kids is that sometimes you need the dark to see the light. Like you have to embrace the dark sometimes in order to recognize, you know, that contrast that's, that's the light, right? You have to be willing to be sad and sit with feelings and be angry and all those things, because without that, you can't really fully feel the joy in your life either. Well, absolutely. And that's, again, the challenge for us as guys, societally, we're expected to bury, suppress, or remain stoic in the, in the face of our emotions. And the reality is like, you can't selectively numb emotions. So we, we tend to want to numb these painful, awful emotions, the anger, the sadness, the hurt, but you can't do that without also suppressing the joy. And, and that's, you know, been the exciting part of my journey as I teach men to really reconnect with that emotional part of self I talk about this often. The reason I'm passionate about teaching men the art of emotional reconnection is because emotionally connected men don't fucking kill people. Yeah. Emotionally connected men make better partners. Emotionally connected men don't take their own lives. Emotionally connected men make better fathers. They make better leaders. Emotionally connected men live richer lives. Yeah. And I would imagine they're also less vulnerable to things like addiction because addiction is ultimately eating, drinking, snorting, whatever feelings that you don't want to feel, right? It's choosing an alternate thing other than feeling something. And so when someone is emotionally connected, they're probably also less likely to go down a path of addiction. Has that been your experience as well? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So so you realized that you wanted to share this message. You realized that you needed to make an impact and this is the way you wanted to do it. So how did you start that process? Because so many people have this idea that they want to impact the world in some way, but they don't know where to begin. Did it start with like just phoning friends? Did it start like, you know, I talked to the girl that started up snack and first thing she did is she asked 10 people to talk her out of it, right? Because she just like, where did you start? What was that little seed that you allowed to grow? Yeah. So for me, it was really about curiosity. So rather than deciding that, okay, I've got the answer, let's go do it. It was much more about getting inquisitive. When I look back and I look at my you know, past 20 years in business and everything I've learned with respect to emotional intelligence, and how that shows up in sales and leadership. Clearly, that also applies here. So rather than just running with that, I started to ask questions. And I started to look at, okay, who's doing what in the space? 
what are the current, you know, if we talk gender-based violence prevention, there's lots of different organizations doing lots of different things. I reached out to the government. I had a meeting with the Minister of Status of Women. I had a meeting with the Minister of Justice for the province of Alberta. I met with Alana Wells, who's a researcher out of the University of Calgary that runs SHIFT, the Project to End Domestic Violence. She's done a ton of research on engaging men and boys. So I really started asking questions. And that was a big, big part of it. And just looking at, okay, so is there something existing that I can amplify? And if there's not, what's the gap and and how do I fill that? And, and so that was kind of where I went. And I just didn't find anything that was quite doing what I was hoping to see in the world. Interesting. Yeah. And, and asking questions is just like, I even talk about that's totally off topic, but like for introverts, that's one of their secret skills is that ability to actually just listen more than they talk and ask the right questions rather than just going out there with a message, but just having those really deep conversations and then going home and processing that information, figuring out where to go with it. Right. And it sounds like that's kind of what you did. Yeah. And again, I think it's just, especially as an extrovert, that's the huge challenge and roadblock and risk is we just want to do, we want to get out there. We want to put it out there, but it would have been ignorant of me to not ask the questions, not be humble enough to say, you know what? There's people that have been working in this space for decades that probably know stuff that I don't. How can I either, like I said, either amplify what they're doing or add to what they're doing? Because I do think I have a unique set of skills. I've got a unique voice. I've obviously got a, a, you know, fairly unique, well, sadly it's not unique enough experience. And and I've got some skills as a, as as a professional speaker that I can share that message. Yeah. It's a work in progress, but obviously, you know, the message is getting out there and it must feel so rewarding and so fulfilling to, to be doing work that makes such an impact on people's lives. Yeah, it really does. I mean, and, and that was, you know, we're kind of jumping ahead, but for, for me, that was, you know, I was the CEO of Axiom Mortgage at the time. And I, again, it just shifted focus and perspective. And how, how do, you know, how do I really make this an impact? And, and ultimately I ended up, I, I sold the business in 2019 because it just wasn't giving me what I needed or, or, you know, maybe conversely, I wasn't giving the business what it needed. Yeah. Because- yeah. There's the chicken or the egg, yeah. And, and so I, I just recognized it, it was it was time for me to to move on and sort of let go of those golden handcuffs to some extent and yeah. and, and really step out. So in teaching other people how to change, how to be more vulnerable, how to feel their feelings, obviously you've internalized some of those changes yourself. How do you think that's affected your relationships, like with your kids, with your partner, mm-hmm. your family members, your teammates, like because that kind of stuff has a butterfly effect on everyone around you, whether you notice it or not. I, I feel like when you change, the people around you change or the way they perceive you changes. Like what have you noticed in your own life? Yeah, I, I think that's 100%. I mean, I've had to learn to be more compassionate, more empathetic. I've had to learn patience. That's been a very difficult one for me. So, you know, when you ask the, what did you do when you wanted to make a difference? Because again, historically, I'm a just, let's go get this done. So learning to have some patience and step back, 
I think has had a huge impact on those around me because it's created space for them to flourish in my presence more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's interesting because I was, the first thing that came to mind is me taking up less space, but it's not me taking up less space. And that's an interesting thought because in fact, I'm taking up more space in the world, but at the same time, I've also created more space. It's almost like you've expanded the boundaries, you know, like the property line was a hundred feet. Now it's 200 feet and you're actually taking up more space, but it's okay because there's more room for everybody else in that space. Well, but it's interesting because so any of the men listening, because I know sometimes this idea of taking up more space, because I've heard therapists use this talk, but it's easy to misconstrue that as I need to be more dominant. I need to be more assertive, which sure, maybe you do, but at the same time, also be mindful of the yin and yang of that, that there, there is, you also have to be able to, if you're going to take up more space, you also need to be able to create more space as well. And I've got one guy in particular that I'm working with has struggled with that a little bit because sometimes to him, he knows he needs to take up more space because he hasn't been good with, with boundaries, but sometimes to him, it's a little too aggressive and in your face. So I ask him, you know, what about, and then he's got a few people in his life that take up a lot of space, but they're assholes. And I said, so think about Joe. Joe takes up a lot of space. Do you want to be like Joe? No, fuck no. I don't want to be like Joe at all. Right. So it's that balance of taking up space, but also creating space for others around you. Yeah. And I love that you said that. Do you want to be like Joe? No, I don't. Because that was a huge epiphany for me. Sometime last year, I decided I wanted to be someone that makes people feel heard, makes them feel valued, makes them feel good around you. And, and I was trying to figure out how to do that. And how I actually did that is like, you know, that person, that person, every time you talk to them, they make you feel small and little and, and they don't mean it that way, but that's how they make you feel because they're trying to be right. And I just want to not be that person. It was hard to visualize who I wanted to be, but as soon as I could visualize who I didn't want to be, then it was so much easier to become that person. I want to be the person that makes people walk away from a conversation and feel awesome, whether I'm right or wrong. I, I, it doesn't matter. I don't have to be right anymore. I just need them to feel valued and heard. How you show up when you're around them and what that does to you. And, and again, how to be able to adapt and adjust if you've got somebody in your life that you can't just cut out because maybe it's a coworker, right? You have to go to work every day. You can't necessarily just, maybe it's your boss. You can't just cut them out of your life. So, so how do you navigate that? Yeah. Also on that same topic, sometimes I found people that I couldn't get along with when I actually changed my attitude towards them. It felt like they changed and they probably didn't change, but it was, you know, what I was putting out to them was coming right back at me. And so when I was able to put something different out towards them, it's, it just didn't come flying back at me as fast, you know? Well, I think, I think you touched on it when you talked about the being right thing, because I, a lot of times we hang on to this notion of, yeah, but we're right. Well, you may well be, but sometimes you have to choose between being right and being effective. Yeah. And for me, because I have this conversation all the time when I'm talking about, you know, if, if you've got somebody that's exhibiting sort of that extreme sort of toxic behaviors, they just need to stop. It's not right. Okay. No, I get it that it's not right. 
but the way you're trying to speak to them, they're not going to hear. Yeah. No, but it's the right way. It's the right way. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that may be the case, but do you want to be right? Or do you want to be effective? Yeah. And we've definitely seen that a lot this year on, you know, social media with the whole COVID thing and the vaccines yeah. and the anti-vaccines. And we're not going into a vaccine talk, but you watch those conversations and they both bring really strong belief sets to the table and neither one of them are willing to budge. And it's just back and forth, back and forth, as opposed to, you know, just like, I don't know, let it go or find a different commonality or whatever, but it's that, that, you're not going to change someone else's mind, but maybe you can change the way they think about you or, or something. Well, right? and, and I think, again, that comes back to, you know, one of my top values is curiosity. Yeah. Why do you feel this way? Yeah. So, yeah. And not, why do you feel this way? Like, what, what, why do you feel that way? Yeah. Explain it to me. Right. And, and that's important too, is, is understanding the how we ask these questions it is powerful. and. Yeah. You know, again, you're not asking because you expect they're going to change your belief, but you can legitimately get curious. And I've taught this for 20 years in sales. You know, if you want to change a customer's belief that, you know, I can get the best rate at the bank, for example. Well, if you want to change their belief, you can tell them all day long, but telling isn't selling. So ask them the questions. So why do you believe that? Yeah. What is the story behind this belief system? And there's always a story, right? If you dig deep enough, there's always a story. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Moving on from that, but you know, as, as, as women, mothers, sisters, daughters, spouses, you know, because Mm -hmm. this is a show about women, that's primary what the audience is, is, you know, how do we do a better job of helping our, you know, sons, brothers, spouses, dads, supporting them in redefining their own version of badass, right? Yeah. And I, and I think part of it is encouraging the exploration. And again, depending on where they're at in their journey. So if you've got a, a, a man in your life that, you know, maybe does need some, some reflection again, figuring out sort of where they're at in their journey, empathizing where they're at in their journey, which can be really hard because if you're a toxic asshole, like it's pretty hard to empathize with, with some folks but if you've decided that you're going to keep them in your life and you want to impact change, yeah, then again, get curious, ask the questions. Why do you believe this way? What, why do you think that way? And, you know, with genuine curiosity. So curiosity over judgment. Yeah. And for me, I use that as a trigger. So anytime I feel myself getting judgmental, I just like, okay, whoa, 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 grab that. Okay, curious, curious, Mike, curious. And how do we get curious? So that's one thing. The other is being aware of how you react when they're doing the right things, when they're doing the things that you actually want them to do or exploring the things that you actually want them to explore, because that can be difficult. I've had so many, a lot of the men that I work with. So do you do private one-on-one coaching or group sessions or what are you talking about when you talk about working with men? So we're all clear. Yeah. So I do executive coaching. So I work with business leaders. I've got some private uh, group coaching and I also run, I founded a group called Connected Men, which is just a a men's group. So, so lots of the men come because their partners encourage them to come. But what I've also seen from time to time is the partners all of a sudden get uncomfortable when the men start doing the work because they don't like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Like I've always been 
So it's it's kind of this double-edged sword, right? There was there was an article, I can't remember the name of the author. She she wrote for Harper's and it was Men Have No Friends and Women Pay the Price was was the title of the article. And essentially she talked about the emotional burden for partners because typically as a man, my only emotional outlet is my spouse, my partner. That's your safe and place. Yeah. Yeah. And and that can be hard. So often partners will encourage men to to find other outlets because you can't just be the only emotional support for me. But what can happen is all of a sudden now I start getting comfortable finding that emotional support with some of my male friends or in these men's groups or or wherever or with my coach or or whatever. All of a sudden that can start to feel threatening. You don't feel important anymore. Right. Because okay, well he doesn't need me for that anymore. So then if he doesn't need me for that, who am I to him? And so recognizing that that's likely going to show up, whether you think it is or not, I would challenge you that it will probably show up in some form. You know, it may not be severe, but it's probably going to show up in some form. And then just saying, oh, okay, yeah, there it is. That's what that thing is. That's what that feeling is. And maybe we'll have that conversation. Hey, you know what, Mike, I got to tell you, like, I love what you're doing, but honestly, it's making me feel a little insecure because, you know, you used to confide in me with all that stuff. And now you're finding other outlets and like, I'm not asking you to change. I just, I need you to understand that it's impacted me a little bit. And then just by having that conversation, like, man, and there's so many directions we can go for for the guys, a large part of why guys don't share because that's the question women always have. Why won't my guy open up? Well, the number one answer I hear is because I don't want to burden my partner. Interesting. So it's going back to that. I got to be strong thing again. So it, so it's, yeah. So it's that combination of, well, I got to be strong. So I'm carrying this freaking weighted armored vest. that is so fucking heavy, Monica. Like you just cannot even imagine how heavy it is. And I don't want to open up to my partner because I don't want to burden her. I can handle this. And what I talk about is like, can you imagine the connection? If you demonstrate to your partner that you trust them enough, ah, I'm going to get emotional talking about this because it's so powerful. Yeah. But the connection that happens when you can say to your partner, I trust you enough to share with you like when you can trust your partner with that, I mean, again, it, it, it's difficult because, you know, now all of a sudden it can be scary for the partner. Yeah. And you're assuming that you have a partner that you can trust with that, but it's not going to completely lose their mind either over that information, right? That is a safe place for you to drop that bag, right? Yeah. Maybe just being that safe place and not being judgmental and overreactive when someone, you know, passes you that heavyweighted vest for a second and says, hey, can you hold this for a second? Not freaking out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it is, it, and it is like, right. It, it, you're right. It's like taking off that vest and then me handing it to you and you grab it and they're going, Funk, holy yeah. shit. That's like, I can't lift that. That that's heavy. Yeah. So yep, it, it is. And then being able to have that conversation and you know, this is where I find metaphors and analogies. Great because we I can talk analogies. about that. Yeah. Right. Like we can talk about that weight vest and then it becomes a thing. Like, you know, I get up in the morning and I'm cranky or whatever, you know, maybe it's like, all right, did you put that weight vest on already? 
Like I thought you'd at least wait till you get out the door before you put that thing on, before you put your armor on, you don't need it with me. Right. And then it's like chuckle, chuckle, and, and it diffuses the situation maybe, or, and again, finding that common language with your partner is huge. Yeah. It's funny. My partner and I have something, well, my husband and I have this sort of this kind of over the years, our relationships evolve where we can, you know, stuff that we didn't talk about now we talk about and, and just once in a while, he gets this kind of, and he doesn't even know he's doing it, but he gets this super condescending tone to his voice. I don't want to say mansplaining, but he's trying to explain something to me. And instead of explaining it more slowly and carefully, he just kind of gets louder and more annoyed. But now we've talked about it and he knows that he's doing it. So now I can be like, hey, you know that guy, the mansplaining guy, can you can you send him away and can you bring back my normal husband? And then he'll be like, oh, right, I'm doing that thing. Okay, let me start over. But, you know, if we don't talk about it, then I just hold it inside. I'm mad for a week. He doesn't know why I'm mad. And we just start this whole cycle, right? Like we have to have some way to bring a little humor in it and go, hey, that dude came out again. Like, can you put him away and bring back the, that other guy? Because I prefer the other guy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, just having that language you know, one of my favorite relationship books is Hold Me Tight by Sue Johnson. I don't know if you've read that one. She talks about raw spots and understanding your partner's raw spots. So something that I do or say that, you know, maybe completely sets my partner, Michelle, off. I look at that and say, like, what the hell, man? Like, it was just this little thing. But, you know, maybe her first husband did this thing all the time. And so it's just this wicked, nasty raw spot for her, you know, and 90% of the population, it wouldn't phase at all. But for her, because of her lived experience, it's a raw spot. It's a trigger. So when I understand that, then I'm conscious of it and I can be a little more empathetic. And, but you know, usually what happens is she, she loses her mind and then I lose my mind because she lost her mind and it just escalates. And yeah. Yeah, I love that term raw spot. It's and it's so visual. Like I can I can actually visualize a raw spot, like those mm. little things that just like wouldn't trigger someone else, but they'll just send you right off the deep end for whatever reason. It's it's literally it's like sandpaper on a wound, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah. and so we have these conversations often. You know, date nights will deliberately talk about it. I don't know if you saw I posted for New we Year's did Eve. 27 questions. We did yeah, I love 27 that. questions to ask your ask your partner. And so literally that's what we did for New Year's Eve. We went and had beer and nachos and we pulled out that list and we went through it together. And actually that's a great question to add to that. I, I did not have that, but are, are there any raw spots that I have? I mean, cause you know, we primarily know what each other's raw spots are, but just asking, are there any raw spots that I'm not particularly gentle with? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And then that gives them an opportunity to just say, Hey, yeah, you know what? You're a bit of a dick when it comes to X, Y, yeah. and Z. Yeah, I love that actually. I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to remember that for next time. But you know, going back to to you know to that tragedy, do you think there were warning signs that that you missed, or do you think she actually did uh, everything yeah. possible within the realms of the law? But what would you tell other people? Like, what should they be watching for, either when they're in a relationship or they're watching someone in a relationship? Like, what are those signs that you need to be asking for some help? Yeah, that that's a great question because. Yeah, I mean, I get goosebumps thinking about that because if I knew then what I know now, holy smokes, Monica. Like, yeah, so I think the biggest thing is trust your gut. Yeah. Don't dismiss it. And regardless of the degree or severity, like just don't dismiss it because that's so easy to do is for us just to, to oh, you know, I'm overreacting. I'm overreacting. I'm overreacting. But trust your gut. Absolutely trust your gut. 
there were so many sort of red flags leading up. And these are now to me like wicked, obvious red flags. And, and I mean, red flags yeah. in, in the extent to the extent that, I mean, she had a restraining order. So clearly she knew there was a problem, but I didn't recognize it escalating the way it did. So there were things like, you know, he ended up, he put sugar in her son's gas tank of her, of his car. He left little mementos at her workplace, you know, like just sort of increased stalker activity. And, and again, this is an extreme case, obviously, but just know it can happen and trust your gut, seek help. And I get that help is so hard to come by because the system is not set up well. Yeah, because it sounds like she did have a restraining order. She'd done a lot of stuff. She, like, did, she did all the right things. She'd filed sure. the breach. He got slapped with a $500 fine, which, of course, he's uh, never okay. going to pay. Yeah. They gave him his guns back. Like, there's just so many, there's just so many failings in the system. So, yeah, if, if you're getting out of a toxic relationship, take it seriously, create a safety plan. Work with, you know, any of the women's shelters will help you create a safety plan, you know, and some of that, like, it, again, it, if, if I'd heard it before this, I would have said, oh man, that sounds extreme. Like, you know, taking different routes to work, security of the house, uh, and again, making, making plans to leave. Like when you're leave, when you leave is obviously the, the time when you're most vulnerable. And it's often those those sort of big date that can trigger things. So, you know, there was some, there was some legal paperwork that had come through. In fact, the day that he killed her, that I'm sure, you know, when I look back at it was the trigger for what happened. And if I'd understood that better, you know, she went to gone like she, she did, you know, she left my house, she went to teach yoga, but she stopped off at her place on the way there. And that was, he ambushed her on the driveway. So, you know, if I'd understood better then would have been more caution would have been more steps taken. And it doesn't just have to be physical when we're talking abusive, abuse is abuse, whether we're talking emotional, whether we're talking financial, whether we're talking physical and, you know, sadly physical is the one that you can see and you can point to, Hey, look, here's a bruise. I can see that emotional and that's where we've got a lot of work to do as a society because oh you're just crazy like yeah but it sounds like the message there is you know really trust your gut and and have a plan like don't just wing it it's going to be fine i'm going to ignore this but actually seek out some some help from someone to to really build a plan and yeah. and keep yourself safe and and you're right i think about those you know, anniversaries, significant dates, you know, I had a person in my life that left an abusive spouse a couple of years ago. She hadn't heard from him in a couple of years, but an important anniversary just came up last week. And she said, he just, he just phoned me at my work out of the blue. And I didn't figure out why until I looked. And that was, that was a significant date in our relationship. And it clearly just triggered those memories for him. And, you know, and she'd moved her address. She was pretty safe. He didn't know where he lived. And then she was able to notify her work. But just that awareness around things like like dates and, and memories and things that are, you know, maybe going to trigger something if you've already left and you need to make an extra effort to be safe around those times. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. Just final question we ask everyone, you know, if you go back in time, 10-year-old Michael, 10-year-old Mike, 
you got any advice for him, what would you say? Uh, you know, what rings true for me is being comfortable with who you are. Like, dude, you're okay. And you don't need to be anything else but you. I think, you know, again, coming back to that context of badass, and I chased that moniker of badass. You know, that's largely what my book is about, uh, becoming a better man. When something's got to change, maybe it's you. And I talk about my pursuit of badassery and often misguided, you know, very misguided. So I think I would tell my 10-year-old self, just be okay with who you are, man. Yeah. You're a good dude. And yeah. that's enough. And that's enough. Awesome. Great advice. Thank you so much for the chat. I, I got a lot out of it. I know listeners are going to get a lot out of it. And thanks for your time. And I almost forgot to add, if you'd like to find out more about Mike, you can find him on his website at www.mikecameron.ca. And there you can find a link to his book, his TEDx presentation, and uh, everything that he's got going on. So thanks again for being a guest. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us on the show. Just wanted to let you all know that I have a book out this year. It's called Overcoming Awkward, The Introvert's Guide to Networking, Marketing, and Sales. You can find it on Amazon, paperback, Kindle, and on Audible as an audiobook version. See you all soon. Have a great week, Douglas.